Hey listeners, welcome to another episode of the Kids Ministry 101 podcast. I am your host, Chuck Peters. So glad to have you today. Today we're joined by a friend, a, a, a guy that I spend a lot of time with through our work day and our interactions at Lifeway. And we really enjoy our time together. He's a strategic thinker. He's a fun conversationalist. And he can be uh, kind of enjoyable once in a while, too. He's not just uh, intelligent. He's actually a fun person. So I'm happy to have today Aaron Armstrong, who's the brand manager for the Gospel Project. Hey, Aaron, how's it going? I'm doing great, Chuck. How are you? I'm doing good. You know, one of my favorite things about you is that you're Canadian. That's true. That is true. I am (laughs) Canadian. It's a wonderful characteristic. But you've been in the U.S. now for how long? Quite a while. A little over four years. Okay, that's long enough. Yeah, but you know, being at home for the last six months has uh, has brought a little bit of my Canadian accent back. I was wondering. Um, I'm trying to get you to say things like "hoose" in a boot, and you know, all the all the things. <laughs> so listeners, listeners, keep a scorecard. If you hear any little Canadian things, just put a little tally mark on the page, and uh, and then let us know at the end what Aaron's score is for Canadianisms, Canada. That's right, and you can you can actually tweet that out if you're on Twitter and uh, tag me at Aaron Strongarm because Aaron Strongarm, good to know, good to know. Well, you, I mean, you just mentioned being at home. We've all been home now for quite a few, boy, months now it seems. Yep. And uh, and you've got a family. Tell us quickly about your family. How many children do you and your wife have? And what is home like right now? Yeah. Uh, well, my wife uh, Emily and I we have three kids: Abigail, Hannah, and Hudson. So they are uh, ages thirteen, ten, and eight. So. Home is really fun. We are we're really thankful that the the county that we live in that schools are back to meeting in person, and so our kids are out of the house uh, most days, which is fantastic. So it's really easy to concentrate and get some work done, and um, and just feel like life is normal again. So but that that wasn't the case for several weeks, right? You did have the kids at home for a, a season, yeah. And so what was that like with all of you? in place well that was that was interesting we we had a lot of opportunities to show one another a lot of grace and to and and to practice repentance toward one another (laughs) and so ask so usually which meant me saying hey guys i'm sorry for getting crabby because i was trying to concentrate on on something at work and being can you guys be quiet please yes <laughs> so and you know what i think we've all been there through this season you know it's it's been tough we've all been home and mm-hmm. so we've had a different dynamic we you know we uh, we have homeschooled in the past uh, a couple of our children actually all of them at one time or another and uh and we're, we still have one at home but between remote school and quarantine and all the things we have had unique opportunities to spend uh, more quality time, let's call it that, with the whole family. And so a lot of us have gone on walks, but we've certainly had a lot of different types of conversations. And so one of the things that I've noticed in talking with my kids, you know, about what's going on in the world, and honestly, we've been very intentional about having regular uh, time of family devotions, which honestly got way better for us during the quarantine season. 
uh, we were able to, you know, kind of capitalize on that to have some really good conversations with our kids. And, you know, it's, it's always fascinating. I know that, you know, those of us who work with kids know this, but it's good to remember this. They get a lot more than we give them credit for sometimes. They really do. I mean, there is a tendency. And I mean, I, you know, not, I'm not just a parent. I mean, obviously I'm a parent, but, um, but I also serve in kids ministry at my church and, and I've been serving in kids ministry at, uh, at every church I've been a part of mm. for the last 15 years. And so, so I, I've gotten to kind of see this time and time again, that, that kids are, kids can handle a lot more than we give them credit for. And I'm not mm. always sure why it is that we, that we assume that they can't. Yeah. And so, you know, sometimes I think it's the people who, who spend less time with kids who assume that kid, that we have to dumb things down for children. And those of us who spend more time with them understand that they really have maybe a greater capacity or a greater understanding than they're giving credit for. So, but, mm-hmm. but within ministry, um, you know, it's, there are different mindsets about how to approach children. We obviously always want to make sure that we're being age appropriate. Yes. There are certain concepts and certain language that we might use that's way over their heads and they don't get it. But in terms of their ability to comprehend some fairly deep spiritual truths, we need to be careful to not make sure that we are dumbing things down too much. Is, is that right? Yes, that's absolutely correct. And so whether that is in choosing, knowing when, when to and not to use analogies, um, knowing the, the, the balance between um, simplifying and clarifying language versus dumbing things down because mm-hmm. there is a difference between the two, um, or, say, or simply saying, hey, this is actually a subject that is actually a little bit too big for you right now. Um, those are things that, that we need a lot of wisdom and um, a lot more practice in actually um, experiencing and allowing kids to, to enter into big truths. Yeah. Now you're. I know that you have a, an affinity for Spurgeon. Sp- Charles Spurgeon had a lot to say about kids. Uh, re- listeners, if you have not read his book *Come Ye Children*, I would highly recommend it. It's a great uh, perspective on kids and on things like we're talking about today. But Spurgeon is is uh, quoted as saying he said, "There's no doctrine of the Word of God which a child, if he be capable of salvation, is not capable of receiving." And so, Aaron, your spin on that is kids can handle it. Absolutely. Maybe, maybe better than adults in some cases. Yes, most definitely. I mean, this is the thing with kids is, um, is they are significantly more accepting of these big truths. And some of that just has to – some of this just has to do with they don't have, they don't have all the baggage that comes mm-hmm. with um, – with being jaded and cynical adults like the rest of us. So that, and that's a really good thing because you can, you can speak to them purely and plainly and not necessarily have to caveat every single thing that you say Mm. with them where with adults there, there tends to be a lot of qualifying and, and unlearning that has to happen, Mm. which is really, which is beneficial and is important but it is but it is a one but kids ministry is a wonderful gift in this regard 
So what what are some of the ways? It may be subtle, you know, maybe overt, not uh, you know, or covert, not overt. But what are some of the ways that we may even unknowingly dumb things down for kids? Well, one of the key ways is when we when we teach the Bible, we tend to default to uh, treating uh, Bible passages and Bible stories as morality plays. And so um, we we take a story like David and David and Goliath, for example, and we just look at it and we say, okay, well, you know, this is a story about bravery and courage. And mm. so we want to be like David and think about what is our Goliath and, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And encourage kids to to be brave like he was. But and, it turn, we, and it turns into kind of a you can do it uh, story. Yeah, pretty right? much. And yeah. and that, and and you know we see we do that with the Ten Commandments as well. And we're like, okay, so don't do these things and do these things. Mm. Um, and you know we we just we take the most simplistic approach possible mm. with with texts. Um, which so, so going up, back, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, which I mean, ultimately just ends up ends up being behavior modification or teaching mm-hmm. people to behave Christianly yes. without pointing them to Christ. Yeah. And so we can have that behavior modification without true heart transformation. And we know, and we know as leaders, really ultimately that's what matters, right? Because if we if we change the outward appearance only, you know, we Jesus was very clear with the Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup, but the inside you're filled with dead man's bones. It's you whitewash the outside of the tomb. May we not be tomb painters, right? As kids leaders, we need to make sure that we are uh, reaching the heart uh, with genuine transformation that comes from the Lord himself, you know, when they're, when they're indwelt uh, by the Holy Spirit and, and receive Christ. And so that has to come from the inside out, not the outside in. So going back to your David and Goliath story, what's, mm-hmm. what's a different type of, type of application that a kid might be able to comprehend that, that maybe some of us are not getting to? Well, one of the big one of the big things from that story, and this is certainly how we approach it in the Gospel Project, is that we need to recognize that that David that if if you're looking for who we should identify with as people mm. in that story, as the as the reader, as the hearer, it's not David, it's certainly not Goliath, it's definitely not King Saul necessarily, but it is the Israelites, mm. because throughout Scripture, David is a type of Christ. So he is in he is in Christ's family line, but he is also but he all of his actions as the prototypical great king of Israel are the are the actions that that Jesus fulfills in a greater in a greater sense. And so just as David came and he defeated this foe of Israel and led the people into victory against their enemy, Jesus comes and defeats a greater foe than anyone can imagine, which is sin and death. Mm. And he leads us into um, a, a life of faithfulness, which is which is the ultimate victory. Mm. And it's, yeah, beautifully, beautifully said. And we, I mean, as the, uh, you're the brand manager for the Gospel Project, which is a wonderful resource. 
Uh, by the way, listeners, you can find information there at gospelproject.com about kids, students, and adult resources that you might mm-hmm. use in your ministry. So we'd encourage you to check that out. There are short-term studies as well as ongoing studies. And there's a free sample at gospelproject.com. You can download for preschooler kids and check that out. And of course, tell your friends. So Aaron works on that. And one of the beautiful things about the Gospel Project is it's a comprehensive chronological study, but it's a Christ-centered study where we see that the the Bible, uh, the way that we uh, approach the study within the Gospel Project is the Bible's one big story. And it really all comes back to God's plan for mankind through Jesus. And it's really all about Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's the key that really is ultimately the the biggest thing that kids need to need to know about the bible is as much as as we need to know about how things like why like what happened in context and as and different ways of of applying this applying the scriptures to our daily lives those things are absolutely essential mm-hmm. we need to know what what the text says and what it means we need to know how to live it out. We need to know who it's about. We need to know our place in the story in order to do those things effectively. Well, in our place, you know, in our, in our Western culture, in America and in Canada, we, we have a very self-centered view of the world. And yeah. so when we look at the Bible and how many of us have been in adult Bible studies and kid studies where, where the biggest takeaway when it's time for discussion is, well, what does it mean to me? Here's what I think and here's what I feel and here's what I and, – and we put ourselves at the center of the story when really that's not our place, is it? No, not at all. Not at all. We are – we're not the heroes of our own story as much as the as the uh, the American doctrine of solo bootstrappa would tell us. Um, <laughs> yeah. So so, um, you know, tie up those boots and get back to it. Right. But um, <laughs> but that is not what we're called to as Christians. We're called to something we're called to humility, to recognizing our need for for rescue and for for forgiveness and for help when we know we can't do what God what God demands of us mm. but well, and he so, can and he does and he does and he does and he and he ultimately is the hero uh, of yes. the story and so when we look back even at David and Goliath my my take on that <laughs> comes back to me right my take <laughs> another <laughs> observation about that that I will be the one who makes it at the moment is that, you know, David stands before Goliath and he says, you come at me with a sword and a spear uh, and a javelin, but I come at you in the name of the Lord. And it's God Mm -hmm. who does the fighting. It's not that David was such a great soldier or a great slingshot shooter, a great stone flinger. You know, we we can take that story and make it about the stones and how many, and Mm -hmm. read into that. At the end of it, it's really about God. He is the one who can take the weak and who can take the meek and elevate them. And it's his battle to win. It's not ours. The battle belongs to the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's really the big idea. I mean, you think about, um, you think about Philippian, Philippians 2, where Paul, where Paul is, tell, is, is telling them and telling us as well um, that we are to um, work out our faith in fear and trembling, knowing mm. that it is God who works in us. Yes. And so that's that there's this beautiful dynamic that we see in scripture that even as, as we are putting as even as we are doing work, 
it's God who is doing it in yeah. and for and through us. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Well, coming back to kids and the way that we lead kids and, and giving them uh, maybe a little bit more meat. Uh, you know, we, we do have a tendency in kids ministry to come back to the same few stories and to make applications that are very Western or, or mm-hmm. self-centered in focus. This whole idea of, of the Bible is one grand narrative. Let's go there for a moment because sure. we, t- we tend to break our Bible study time in kids. And I say we, it's just kind of a generalization. There is a tendency for kids ministries to take little stories and isolate them and just tell the story of Noah or the story of Abraham and Isaac or the story of what, you know, whatever it be. And there's sweet stories that we tell without that context of the bigger picture. And so kids can come away knowing the little stories, but not knowing really what God is doing. Why is that? Why is it not only uh, valuable, but really crucial that we put those pieces together for our kids? Well, the the biggest thing there is, is that ultimately it makes the Bible make sense. Mm-hmm. There are certain passages that it gets really difficult to teach kids without knowing um, and for kids to really understand and for adults to understand as well, mm-hmm. unless we unless we have that that story. So think about um, Abraham sacrificing Isaac. As yes. just an example of this, this is which, not which a may typical... be a story. Yeah, that could be a story, uh, an account. I, and I want to be careful yeah. that even even the, how we talk about the, what we read. Yes. Is it a story that makes it feel like it's not real? This account, this historical occurrence, this thing that happened. We yeah. might even avoid a lot of the details of that account uh, because we feel like kids can't handle this whole concept of what Abraham is doing. Right, but and yet a- Isaac was, you know anywhere between 12 and 18 when that was happening so he was old enough that he could carry the wood himself so he knew what was going on yeah. but um but i mean you have to think about this this is a strange account in yeah. genesis it's one that on its own doesn't really make sense but it's the this hinge for this understanding of abraham as the man of faith yeah and as the one whose faith was um, was credited to him as righteousness, yeah. and so we we see this this interplay, and but we see this this man of faith called to sacrifice his son, who is the son of the who is the son of the promise yes. that he was given by God, that through his offspring, all the nations would be blessed. Yeah, and so. Um, so a child who ultimately foreshadows Jesus himself as well as the ultimate one through whom all would be blessed. Um, and that's just, that's just Galatians, everybody. So yeah. uh, nice and simple there. But um, but with that, he goes and he sacrifices his son, or he goes and he prepares to sacrifice, and God sends this angel and um, stops, st- stays his hand and, um, and, and then gives him a ram as a substitute. And you see all of these things that, that interplay together. And it's like, why did this happen at all? Yeah. Well, it's to help us make sense of what's going to happen several thousand years later in Jerusalem on a cross where God sacrifices his son and does not spare him yeah. so that all will be saved. 
And in that, at that same moment, he is the son and the lamb. Uh, he is. Yeah. He is. And that's the incredible thing is, is that this is, why, this is why it's so important when we see things like, you know, God sending a ram, God, um, God calling for lambs to be sacrificed. Mm. And then in John 1, 29, John the Baptist saying, look, there's the lamb. Here's the lamb of God. Mm. <laughs> you know? We... Um, we in our family, we have my, my wife is a student of the word. She loves to study scripture. She loves, she's learned teaching herself Hebrew. And so we have That's been bold. Stu- I know, I know. We have been studying <laughs> as a family uh, he different Hebrew words. And we've been looking at different Hebrew festivals and observations. And just as you talk about the you know the uh, the substitutionary atonement that we see there in pictured in Abraham and with Abraham and Isaac, I go back to another common children's lesson that we teach about the Exodus, where we have you know the ten plagues and how you know let my people go and the burning bush and we tell that story and we put those things there, and it can be very easy for us to miss the Passover portion of that, the blood on the doorpost, the lamb that was slain, uh, and then how the angel passes over those homes who are under the blood. Again, Mm -hmm. what another beautiful picture of what God would do thousands of years later through Christ. Yeah. And with that one, I mean, that's one that that last plague, the 10th plague is the one that we desperately want to get out of teaching kids. Yeah. So often because the the key things to note there is that one is not a bad guys versus good guys one it applies to everybody right because it says any home that does not yes or that is not covered by the blood any home will experience this and so it's a it's a matter of faith and it's also important there to recognize and this is something that i lo- i love when this comes up Whenever I'm teaching, um, because there's this important reminder there that it, that faith is not about how much you have; mm. it's about who your faith is in. And so, God, they, the Israelites who were doing this, no doubt, there were some who were doing this and saying, "I, I don't, I don't know, I don't know. I, I hope this, like, is this, is this really going to happen?" They're, they're uncertain. Yeah. They're but they're trusting. Yes. And so and they were and they were proven faithful ultimately because of this. Yeah. But you're right, the degree of faithfulness is not a measure. It's yeah. it's there's either blood or there's not. You're under it or you aren't. And so but again, it's so easy for us to kind of spare some of the, you know, gory details for our children and in doing so miss maybe a bigger part of the story. Well, so Aaron, wrapping this all up, mm-hmm. our big takeaway for this is we, I've used the term dumbing down. I don't want to offend by saying that. Maybe oversimplify is a better way. Yeah. Um, we may need to use some caution and use some discernment as we evaluate what we teach and how we teach and how we speak to children, just to be careful that we don't oversimplify to the point where we water down the message. Right. Right. Over like simplifying effectively means you have to know it well. And that's really what it comes down to. We oversimplify when we when we either don't know something really well or we don't have confidence in the people that we are teaching. 
Well, you know, another another example I think of is, you know, my you mentioned the ages of your children. I have four. My two girls are grown now. They're in their 20s. But I still have a 14-year-old and a 12-year-old. And my Tate is uh, finishing up his kids' ministry stint and ready to move on to middle school here. Or he's in middle school, but ready to move on to youth group really soon. Oh, but no. something that something that I learned about my kids uh, really young is that they liked meat when they were little. You know, we we moved from bottles to burgers relatively quickly to chicken nuggets anyway, right? So kids can process and digest and even enjoy meat. And we need to be careful to do the same with the word, right? Not to be guilty of only offering up milk when really our kids are ready for something more to chew on. Yeah, 100%. We, the best way we can honor our kids is to... Um, is to both recognize where they are in terms of maturity, comprehension level, all those kind of things, but also to also to stretch them yeah. and to challenge them. Because when we challenge them, they will meet it. Well, and of course, we do always want to be careful to be age appropriate and how we do mm-hmm. things. But the, but, but the caution here is to balance being overly sensitive to uh, to giving really the meat of the word. Aaron Armstrong, yep. thank you so much for being with us. Glad to be here. Thanks Man, for it's fun me. to talk with you. We will have you back again soon. I'm sure that we've got we can fill multiple hours of podcasts together. So, man, thank you very much. Absolutely. Tell us Absolutely. once again if we want to find you. Where can people find and follow you? So you can find me on Twitter at Aaron Strongarm. Um, you know, I'm all over the Gospel Project and. Um, uh, you can also find me on my personal website, uh, bloggingtheologically.com. Awesome. Aaron Armstrong, uh, brand manager for The Gospel Project. Thank you so much for being here today and for your words of wisdom. Listeners, I do want to direct you where you can go find some free uh, sample sessions for The Gospel Project. If you are not already a user, uh, go to gospelproject.com. Look for kids and preschool resources there that you can download and sample one month free. Try that out. We also want to encourage you to take that close look at the Gospel Project as you plan to gather again with your ministry. A lot of us have pressed pause. Many of us have forged ahead and continued on. Some of us have fallen off the pace. But as you look at what you're going to do between right now and next fall, we have a new resource uh, that's going to be available here very soon. That's the Gospel Project Bridge that would let you begin wherever we are on the calendar and end together. Uh, And it's a full overview of the New Testament. So look for information about the Gospel Project Bridge resource. And I think that's at gospelproject.com slash bridge where you can check that out. Thanks for listening, listeners. And we'll talk to you again next time on another episode of the Kids Ministry 101 podcast.